please remain standing for our scripture lesson. Pastor Cherney's sermon's called Living by Faith, and he's taking us to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 20. Please open your ears. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations, and all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor mercilessly for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. 
What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Well, good morning. It is good to be back with all of you. It's been several months since I was here. Last time I brought you greetings from Grace Presbyterian Church just up the road. And next week, I hope when I return to them, to bring the, the greetings of Redeemer to Grace Presbyterian. Last time I was here with you, we began uh, a study of the book of Habakkuk. And as long as the session of Redeemer will invite me to cover when Mark, Pastor Mark is out of town, we will keep slowly making our way through the book of Habakkuk. Um, and so next time if you hear I'm coming back, don't be surprised if we're just in Habakkuk chapter 3 then. Uh, we'll just slowly make our way through the book together. If you would, join me in prayer as we begin our time of study of God's Word. Our Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given to us, uh, a day of rest that we can rest in um, because of the work of your Son, a completed work of redemption. Lord, as we look at your word uh, through the prophet Habakkuk, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that find um, comfort and encouragement, whether in days of misery or calamity, whether in days uh, of joy and days of mourning, wherever it is that we might find ourselves in your world. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. Lord, that we would continue to meditate on your word um, throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is not possible to have a discussion of this verse here in Habakkuk without at least acknowledging the impact that it has had on church history. As we read in our passage this morning, the righteous shall live by faith. Perhaps you recall how these very words were used by God to grip the heart of a young and anxious monk named Martin Luther. In Luther's day, the teaching of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church, had begun teaching that man was not justified by faith alone, nor could man be assured of his salvation. Luther was frequently finding himself with thunderstorms going outside anxious knowing that God's wrath was against his sin. And the medieval Catholic system had led Luther to being fearful of this burden of sin, not knowing how to free himself from it. While Luther was not sick or crazy, he simply recognized that God's standards, as seen in his word, that he had fell short of that standard that God had given. And determined to seek his own salvation, Martin Luther joined the monastery. He was encouraged by a wonderful spiritual father uh, who was his supervisor who directed him in the study of Scripture and ended up telling him to read the book of Habakkuk. And as Luther studied God's Word, he came upon this text that the righteous shall live by faith. And it began to take root in his mind, but not all at once. At this point, Luther did not understand the verse as later he would come to understand it. But he recognized its importance. He recognized that somewhere in these words was the revelation of God of a different way of having a relationship with God, whether than fasting, self-mutilation, prayers, pilgrimages, chastity, and good works. And while many of us are probably familiar with Luther's story up until this point, and how this study ends up driving him to the book of Romans, 
There was a second period in this life, in Martin Luther's life, in which this text was used by God to change his heart. Luther began a pilgrimage to Rome when he was a young monk, and on that journey he crossed the Alps and he fell very sick. And he was deathly ill, he was taken care of by a group of monks, and then continued his journey. But Luther was overcome with this darkness and dejection, reflecting on how horrible it was to die under a burning sky in a foreign land, feeling God's wrath against his sin. Luther writes that his physical condition reflected the inner turmoil of his soul and was an image of what he had imagined it would be like to stand before the wrath of God. And while he lay on that bed, the words that he had earlier read and studied in the book of Habakkuk came back into his mind, the righteous shall live by faith. And he began murmuring it in his fever again and again, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, when Luther recovered from his illness, he continued on this pilgrimage and he went to Rome in St. John's Lantern Church. There's a staircase there that the Roman Catholic Church says is Pilate's staircase from his judgment hall in which he judged Christ. The existing stairs are broken up into four parts. There's a special inner two that have said to have been transported miraculously from Jerusalem to Rome. And then an ordinary outer two. Well, what would happen during this pilgrimage is you would not take the, the outer steps, but the inner steps walking up on your knees because there, covered in glass, is stains that the Roman Catholic Church says bear the blood of Christ from the moment of his trial. And so Luther, on his knees, is going up this staircase rather painfully, having just recovered from a deathly illness. And as he goes up the steps one by one, you're supposed to pray, because the Pope has promised indulgences that can lead to your salvation. Luther is very anxious for his soul. How can God's wrath against sin be satisfied? He's gone to this pilgrimage that it might give him assurance for a time. And as he's going up the steps, he ends up actually turning back and walking back down them. He made it about halfway up. This is reported by his son, Dr. Paul Luther. He made it roughly halfway up, and then in the back of his head, he began to think and meditate upon Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. This is what his son says from the story from his father. As he repeated his prayers on the lantern staircase, the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind. The righteous shall live by faith. Therefore he ceased his prayers, returned to Wittenberg, and took up his chief foundation of the doctrines of Scripture. Luther's turnabout on those stairs marked the beginning of his study that would lead to the Protestant Reformation and sweep through Europe. And perhaps for some of us in this room, even this morning, we have felt anxious like Luther for our souls. Or perhaps we have felt the vast ways we fall short of God's glory and His holy law. Or perhaps you have felt like as we read in the prophet Habakkuk, that it does not seem right that God's people should be destroyed by a godless nation. We might ask at this point, as Habakkuk does, why does God tolerate the treacherous? Why is God silent? Why the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor and commentator, is helpful here as he explains that we encounter this also on a very personal level when it comes to these questions about wickedness in our world and a God who is holy and just. Because suppose if you lose your job to someone who has misrepresented you, it seems like the wicked 
are triumphing over the righteous? Why did God allow this bad person to succeed? Or suppose you are sick and a doctor messes up the diagnosis and your case gets even worse. Why does God in His sovereignty allow this to happen? Or suppose you experience a great disappointment, the death of a child or a spouse or a failed engagement or failing to get into a school or a job that you felt like you were a great fit for. We begin asking the question similar to the prophet Habakkuk then. Does God care about what's happening with His people? And while you're not perfect, why should someone who's not even a Christian gain all of these things that you're losing? That's the question that the Israelites are facing as the Chaldeans are being raised up for their destruction. For the Israelites facing exile and living out the rest of their lives as refugees, if they survived, the prophet Habakkuk issues his second complaint to our God. We have an easy way of approaching our text this morning because the places where it is quoted in the New Testament, we've actually already even read two of them this morning. This passage is quoted three times in the New Testament. Once in Romans, once in Galatians, and once in the letter to the Hebrews. And it helps us actually answer what is our main question for this morning, of how do the righteous live by faith? See, Romans is our commentary on the justified man, and Hebrews is our commentary on faith, and Galatians is our commentary on the Christian life. So this morning in our time together, I'd like to highlight three answers to this question of how do the righteous live by faith. The first thing we will look at is that the righteous who live by faith remember God's character. Secondly, that they remember God's word. And finally, that they remember God's eternal justice. So let's look at that first point of remembering God's character. Look back with me in verse 12 in Habakkuk chapter 1. Here the complaint begins, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So we can see here Habakkuk has learned from the Lord's first answer from his first complaint. And what he's focusing on is who he knows God to be in the days of his calamity and misery as he knows things are about to get worse. But the prophet asks the important question, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent while the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Why do the wicked prosper? How could God allow it? God's character is holy. Then how does he remain silent? Habakkuk brings his worries and his questions to God in this second complaint. This is what we discussed the last time I was with you in chapter 1, that lament, Habakkuk is the lamenting prophet, is taking our cares to God instead of talking behind his back. Taking our concerns directly to him, because he is a good father who hears our cares. And Habakkuk feels pulled by this net of the wicked, is this imagery he uses, and he remembers that which is true, that God is his rock, that he rests upon God's character alone. If you look back with me at verses 14 to 16, here we read this rich analogy. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in a dragnet and so he rejoices and is glad. 
Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. This is the heart of the question that Habakkuk is asking in his first complaint. Habakkuk laments by describing his enemy as somebody who sacrifices to his net. Someone who fails to see the provision from God's hand for the fish. Israel is like the fish being killed by a heavy dragnet that the Chaldeans are pulling. The Chaldeans are getting many blessings, many fish in the net, and they don't even realize who is giving them this victory over the Israelites. For Luther, who felt anxious about his soul, and for perhaps some of us who have maybe had a day in which we felt anxious for our own souls, or he's asked the question, why do the wicked prosper? We're asking the same question as the prophet. If you look back at verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Is God's justice going to answer the wickedness and the violence that is seen? And our question for this morning then becomes very real in a world in which we see the wicked prosper at times. How do the righteous live by faith? I propose to you that they remember God's character. For His attributes are not aspirational. I said previously that Romans is our commentary on the justified man. And in Romans, as we already read this morning in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. How? By faith alone. As God's wrath is displayed against ungodliness and His mercy on those whom He chooses. God's fatherly discipline is being poured out on His chosen people to conform them to the image of His Son. This is what we keep reading if we were to keep going through the book of Romans this morning. In chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, we read, And we know that for those who love God, He works all things together for good, as those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God has a purpose in His redemption. He's redeeming, He's revealing His character, His righteousness in the gospel. And it's calling to tr- uh, for us to trust it by faith alone, which means we're trusting in God's goodness, the right, His righteousness that He has revealed. We're trusting in His character. And that He has a purpose. He doesn't call bad things good. That's an important thing to note in Romans chapter 8. Is that the, the suffering, whether it's now or in the future in your life, that God does not call evil or wicked things good, but rather His purpose is that they might be used to conform us to the image of His Son. The righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel and is received by faith alone. God is going to pour out His judgment on the Chaldeans. As Romans even quotes later from the book of Deuteronomy, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But for Habakkuk, the answer at the present moment that we read in our last time together, if you look back at chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6, this is the Lord's answer to the first complaint. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God is bringing about His purposes. And for Habakkuk, he is left questioning, what are these purposes? 
how is God going to do something? How are we to live as God's people knowing that this conquering army is coming? And so Habakkuk takes his complaint to his God. So as the wicked swallow up the more righteous, the people of faith live by faith knowing that God has a purpose. This revealed in his character that is consistent. God's character and the morality of this current moment for Habakkuk are not at odds. Habakkuk takes his complaints to God, grieving the wickedness that he sees. This is how the righteous live. There are times we want to complain, and there are times we want help. And so last time as we looked at Habakkuk chapter 1, I gave that little pocket definition from a friend of mine that lament is taking our cares to God instead of talking behind his back. Well, here's another piece as we think about lament, even as half the Psalter is laments. The other piece is that when we actually come to the Lord with our laments, it's not like a friend we can go to and be like, hey, can I just complain for a minute? Will you, will you just be an open ear? Or for how many of us in this room has it happened ever with a spouse where they're just looking to complain and we try to fix the things? When it comes to lament, when it comes to taking our cares to our God who cares, who is our rock, He gets to fix it. He also gets to choose when He fixes it. Vengeance is His. And He's doing something that Habakkuk would not even believe if told is what the answer was. So something else important here that we learn about lament is that when we take our laments or these complaints to God, we have to do so actually seeking His help. Not with just a heart to complain, just to complain, but actually looking for and seeking His help in His good character. Remember God's character, we can trust that He will help, but we may not receive the answer we want. But we can trust in God's good character that the righteousness of God is revealed even in suffering. So how will the righteous live by faith? By remembering God's character. Secondly, if you look back with me, we're going to look at this call to remember God's word. So look back with me in chapter 2 at verse 1. Here we read the end of the complaint from the prophet Habakkuk. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning, and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Next, we're going to read the Lord's answer. And in a moment of anxiety and lament, you see, church, how comforting the words we read next are. Look with me at the beginning of verse 2. And the Lord answered me. The Lord does not extend indulgences like the Pope or a pilgrimage to a stairway like many religions in the world, but rather the Lord answers His people. The God who is perfectly transcendent, who is above all things, becomes imminent, becomes close, draws near. This is a fatherly heart. As we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Through the pain and suffering, God draws near to His people. And if you keep reading with me in verses 2 and 3, we'll see what God tells the prophet. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that He may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
God tells the people through His prophet how His people are going to live in these days of suffering. Just as in the days of slavery under Egypt or in the wilderness, or now as they're led into exile, God is actually giving a warning to His people that he who reads it may run. Just as the wilderness generation was told, before you lie, it's the path of blessings and cursings, of life and of death. And I mentioned before that Hebrews is our commentary on faith. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 through 11, 1 reads, For you, talking to the church, have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But the righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But if we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The book of Hebrews has been summarized uh, in a little bit of a metaphor before as the book goes back and forth talking about striving to enter this rest. And the current reality for the church of the Hebrews was that their property was being plundered. They had not yet suffered to the point of shedding of blood. This was a church that intimately knew suffering. And the encouragement was that they might strive to enter the rest just like Israel in the wilderness strived to enter the rest. It's become somewhat of a common saying for the book of Hebrews that if you're not currently in the resting, you're in the testing. Which is where the, the call for the striving and endurance is given to the church in these days of suffering. When they're being plundered, when they're being shunned by their own families. For God's people about to be exiled, there's a clear testing happening. There's a fatherly discipline happening to His people. And for the church of Hebrews, suffering but not yet to the point of shedding of blood as their goods have been plundered. This is a call to continue to strive that he who reads it may run. This is why God tells him to write it down, that it might be revisited, that the people might remember, just as we're even given a sacrament by our Lord, that we might come and remember. We're forgetful creatures. Here, in a couple moments together, we're actually going to taste, touch, and feel the gospel. And throughout Scripture, God continues to call His people to remember. And the comfort that the prophet Habakkuk is given here, write it down. Write it down. You can revisit it. You can come back to it. You might might forget it. But here's the things that I am doing. God's people live as a people of faith. Just as we read in the Old Testament that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... This has always been true. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Even if it seems slow. God has promised these things are going to happen, but what if it seems slow? What if it's not as quick as I thought it would be? God's people, as they live by faith, wait patiently. God answers the complaint by telling Habakkuk that he knows the depravity of the Chaldeans. Look back with me at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is a contrast. There are two types of people here in the book of Habakkuk. There are those people who live by faith and those who are puffed up. The soul that is puffed up is not upright. He is not righteous. He sacrifices to his net. He does not see where good gifts come from. 
He lives and seeks after just his own luxury. That's who the Chaldeans are. But the righteous live by faith. So how do the righteous live by faith? They remember God's Word. Just as God graciously tells the prophet Habakkuk, write it down. Remember it. And as the prophet is commanded to write it down, we are shown that the person of faith sees, to use the analogy here in the book of Habakkuk, the person of faith knows where the fish comes from. That it's not just a happenstance. That it's not just for my own luxury or wealth. But it's actually even a posture of thanksgiving that God gives any of the fish. Even as you guys talk about a fish fry at some point in the near future. So in the days in which it seems like the wicked prosper, those that live by faith have confidence, as Hebrews says. And we're in need of endurance. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Christian, in the days of your trouble, will you take your cares to your nets, looking for your own provision or your own luxury? Or will you take your cares to your God and His Word? He has made it plain where the provision comes from. And lastly, my third point, we remember God's eternal justice. Everything the Chaldeans gain ends up coming up empty. Look back with me in chapter 2 at verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. What should be a joy ends up betraying them. They always want more. And the person not living by faith can never find contentment. He must make the sacrifices to his net. He must seek more and more things again and again. And in the day of what seems like victory for the wicked, we live by faith knowing that God's judgment will come. Vengeance is the Lord's. Habakkuk is profound because it raises these deep questions about the workings of God in history. Why does God do what He does? Why does He do it in the way that He does it? And why sometimes does it seem like perhaps the wicked are being allowed to prosper? God says that although the righteous may not understand everything He is doing in history, they nevertheless should live by faith in following Him. Habakkuk had a problem. He had lived through a period of national revival followed by a period of deep spiritual decline. And when he cried out to God about it, God replied that he was sending the Chaldeans to be an agent of judgment upon his people. This was not what Habakkuk wanted. He had been looking, most optimistically, probably for another revival. Hoping for another Josiah-like figure. So in God's second answer to the prophet's complaints, to his lament, God gives a preview of his internal judgment. God pronounces a series of woes upon the conquerors. And I want to highlight a couple of things about these woes this morning. Two things that we can learn from the book of Habakkuk about God's eternal justice. Look back with me at verses 6 and 7. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? 
you will be spoil for them. See, as they, the Chaldeans look to build up their, their luxury, as they look to make sacrifices even to their own nets, to the work of their own hands instead of living by faith. That if they just did more, they could have more. They were seeking to be their own gods, their own providers. So one of the first things we learn here about God's eternal justice is that God is not going to let the guilty go unpunished. Even as I read from Romans before, that vengeance is the Lord's. Secondly, look back with me at verse 10. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. And towards the end of this these series of woes to the Chaldeans, God's going to address their idolatry. And the, the irony here in this woe that is given to them is this referencing materials that they would use to make idols. The materials they even use to make their idols are going to testify against them. The vengeance of the Lord is going to come for these Chaldeans and for Habakkuk in this immense suffering. Or for you, church, as you know suffering as well. You can have a confidence in God's eternal character that is good, that He is our rock, that He is sovereign over all things, but that He's also not going to not only let the, guilt, not let the guilty go unpunished, but He also does not remove the consequences of their actions. As Jesus says in the Gospels even, for all those who take the sword will perish by the sword. And that ends up being the life of the Chaldeans. So how do the righteous live by faith? Well, lastly, I would propose that they remember God's eternal justice. Just because there is not justice in the present moment does not mean there will not be justice. Look back with me at verses 15 and 16. Here we read, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself. And show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. God's wrath is going to be poured out against them. As their wrath has been poured out on other nations by the, or that the Chaldeans have done, the Lord too has a cup, and He is going to make the Chaldeans drink it, inebriated on wrath rather than drunk on their own false glory. Their idols will not save them. Look back at verses 18 to 20. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts its, in his own creation when he makes a speechless idol. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! And to a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord in His holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before Him. So as I mentioned before, God is perfectly transcendent. He is above all things and He is also imminent and draws close. He is the, the one who is to be feared with a holy reverence. But He also provides and cares for His people. He disciplines them as a father who loves them. So even as His wrath is coming against Israel, as He's leading them into exile for their failure to keep the covenant, 
He is going to be providing for them. We also know how that goes, of the the remnant coming back together, the line of David not being broken, the Messiah coming forth. So how do the righteous live by faith? They remember God's character, that He is transcendent and imminent. They remember God's Word, that He has given it to us for our good. That even in days of trouble, we might read it. And that we might remember God's eternal justice that will come one day. As Martin Luther felt anxious about his soul, he learned to trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him by faith alone for salvation. Knowing that in the, in the day that he was clearly condemned as a sinner in the sight of God, in need of Christ's grace and mercy. And for you, Christian, we know this as well. We know that for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Truly the righteous live by faith, trusting alone in Him. Luther said of this text in one of his journals, that before these words that the righteous shall live by faith broke upon his mind, that he hated God and was angry with Him because God frightened sinners by the law and by the miseries of life, and God still farther increased His torture by the gospel. But when, by the Spirit of God, He understood the words, the righteous shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, then, in Martin Luther's words, he writes, then I felt born again like a new man, and I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. This is the good news of the gospel, church. This is the good news of the gospel is that we are not called to make a pilgrimage for an indulgence. We are not called to worry about all of the things that might happen in this world that if it looks like the wicked are prospering. Our God has these things covered. We get to follow Him as the righteous who live by faith in Jesus Christ. So even when the, the hard days come, when the, the miseries of life are there, like Luther even says before his conversion, we know that these things actually even draw us to God. And that through them, He might even actually conform us more to the image of His Son, through things like suffering, that God is actually using them. Not calling wicked or evil things good, but rather for His purpose, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So I hope as the prophet Habakkuk is encouraged these two different times, he, the book ends actually with a beautiful song that we'll look at perhaps another time. But I hope you too are encouraged just as Habakkuk does. And that it's right to actually respond in praise and worship. And for us even now as we come to feasting at the table together. Let me close for us in prayer and then we will... Um, Go to the Lord's table together. Our Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given through the prophet Habakkuk. Lord, that in the, the realities of a world that knows sin, death, and misery, uh, Lord, that you will have the final say of justice, that you are our rock and our redeemer, that you call us to trust and follow you by faith alone. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us in the days that we suffer, in the days in which we feel like the wicked are prospering. Lord, that all of these things you would do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.